Welcome back to DC EKG with myself, Joe Grogan, and Eric Euland. We're joined by Mark Paoletta, author of Created Equal, about Clarence Thomas. But we've been discussing with him the, uh, his expertise in oversight, uh, both in the, uh, on Capitol Hill, but also as an attorney in private practice. So let's dive into three areas sure. specifically that the House may want to get into. Um, just in the past uh, few weeks, we've watched FTX meltdown and turmoil in the cryptocurrency market. Uh, some of the stories that are being littered across the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, paint a very interesting portrait of the uh, gentleman who was running FTX. If you were up on the hill, I know it's early, there's, there's a lot of noise out there, but boom, you mentioned earlier, you read the newspaper when you're running house investigations. Yeah. Is this something they're going to look at? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, I, I kind of liken it. We we're just talking about, to, to Enron and something that blew up. You know, people weren't really watching it and getting your head around that and 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 deep uh, doing a deep dive into it. So yeah, I absolutely think that the House uh, and and the Senate, for that matter, uh, should look into what happened there because it looks like a lot of people lost a lot of money um, and you know, sort of the representations and what the agencies should or could have been doing. It's really to kind of jump in and figure out what happened here, right, mm -hmm. to, to understand it. And But that means sending letters to the company, uh, document requests, subpoenas if necessary, um, to the, and to the individual who runs that, uh, that, that company. But yeah, it, 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 it clearly looks like something that should be looked into. Let's go back to Enron as an example for one second and, yeah. and tell me whether or not this is off base. But I, I felt like during the Enron investigation, it was really complicated what those guys were doing, the types of financial instruments they were playing with. It would be difficult for the average American to understand what was going on with Enron. I don't think a lot of people understand cryptocurrency. Matter of fact, that's probably when it comes up in conversation, the first thing people say to me is, I don't fully understand it. Is there is there an art to explaining really complicated financial transactions and stuff to the general public and to the media to kind of get people invested in it? Because it yeah. seems to me you could go down rabbit holes. It's and, a great point. You know, Enron was complicated it's a long time ago. It's, it's fun to have something that happened so long ago, sort of, you know, in terms of like things never change, right? Yep. Uh, in terms of uh, those, those sorts of things in, in certainly in congressional investigations and greed and sort of how people try and game systems, right? Love capitalism. But there's going to be, in my view on the, those sorts of investigations, we did WorldCom. As I said, we did a number of, of those. We ran into a bunch of those corporate uh, uh, entities that were doing a number of, they were capacity swaps or they were these, it is complicated, but at the end of the day, it was doing fake transactions uh, right. to, to, boost your, to boost your revenue right yeah. on the books and to get more stock, to have your stock go up. And it was all a sham. And right. so at a, at, a, at a certain level, Joe, it's not complicated. And, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm just a dogged investigator. Uh, you know, there are a lot of smarter people, people than me, right. but I could even understand that. And, and, and looking internally when you get the documents and what they were talking about in terms of doing that. I remember with, um, I think it was the Global Crossing, I think we looked at Quest, and they were all trying to meet their quarter, you know, their, their, their end of the quarter numbers, and they were doing crazy 
they were capacity swaps or they were there, these deals that were just completely bogus, right? Yeah. But they were showing up. So that's at the end of the day, what was going on. It was all to boost the stock price, right? And to make more money and to have their, you know, and, and, and to have their own uh, sort of compensation sure. and, and stock um, value go up. So I, that might be here. I'm not sure. I'm not. Crypto is something that I've, I've read a couple of times about and I still don't understand it. But you're going to have investigators up there that, you know, will spend the time to understand it and do a deep dive. And I think it should be something because I do think it's something that people have been pushing as a as a as a, a new form of currency. That's the future. And it just this looked like oh, it bottomed out. A lot out, of people right? invested in it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there will also be people who are hurt or damaged by this fiasco that are also potentially and, sympathetic. Witnesses. And I remember when we were doing I think it was Global Crossing. I mean, that the people who lost their 401ks because of all these bogus transactions and, and funding. And um, we had people, so when I had those hearings, I had people who lost their life savings come testify, right? This is, the, this is hurting people. It's not just some rich guys that, that are getting hurt or some company, but it's, it's actually hurting you know, yeah. people who, who lost, their, lost their life savings. So um, definitely think Congress should look at it. Um, and um, How about, um, we could talk all day about FTX and maybe we'll have another opportunity with more more information comes out. But uh, let's talk about Afghanistan for a second. Sure. So recently there was a letter just in the past uh, few weeks, I yeah. think, where the inspector general uh, basically threw up his hands and said, I can't get any information on uh, what happened in Afghanistan. I give up. I can't issue a report. Is that an accurate characterization? I, I think it is. So th th there's a special inspector general for Afghan reconstruction. His name is John Sopko. I think he's been in there probably 10 years, maybe longer. He's an old friend of mine. He worked up on the Hill. He was a, a Dingle staffer. And Dingle. A Carl, a John Dingle, former chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Democrat from Democrat. Yeah, Democrat. Michigan, Long term. Yeah. Very he, was on a strike, he was on a DOJ strike force back uh, doing uh, stuff in Cleveland, I think, uh, one of those movies that was on one of his uh, cases. And um, great guy, a, a good investigator, worked for Carl Levin uh, in the Senate on- um, Senator uh, from uh, Michigan. Senator Democrat. from Michigan on that investigative committee over there uh, for many, many years. So he's a seasoned investigator. He's been doing, he's, He's been doing a lot of work over in Afghanistan over the years, and he always comes out with these very, you know, headline-grabbing um, reports about the amount of fraud or the amount of waste or the amount of, you know, you know, all sorts of, you know, problematic things that are going over in Afghanistan. Quite apart from the the the, the pullout, um, and he just wrote a, a letter, and he had responded to I think a briefing or something like that with the House side that he has been literally stonewalled by the Biden administration. He couldn't report on what was going on because I think it was USAID and probably Treasury and other key agencies had literally just stonewalled him and not given him any information. And so that's what's going on and hasn't been covered by, in my view, the, the media in terms of the Biden administration just completely, you know, um, blowing off uh, requests. And this isn't even from the Republican Congress. This is from an inspector general. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you're going to see a lot. That was obviously a terrible tragedy. And when I say a tragedy, just a reckless you know, terrible uh, decision by the by the Biden administration, the way they did that, way they executed the pullout. Pulling out from Pulling out, absolutely, the Iraq. pullout. And we were getting out of Afghanistan, or we're going to be lowering it. It's just the way he mm -hmm. did it and the way he left people behind um, and, um, and how 13 soldiers were killed uh, 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 over there. So there needs to be some accountability there. So how do you do it? Let's, uh, let's say we buy in. Okay, yes, we need oversight here. Um, Yulin spent some time running around the State Department. In the previous uh, conversation when we were talking about how to do sort of a left uh, hook 
uh, right jab. You can go after the private sector entities yeah. and the executive branch. They've been stymied by the executive branch here. I'm making an assumption that there are not as many private sector actors that you can jam up um, and send letters yeah. to to say, hey, what happened here? Can you can you go after state? I mean, USAID is part of state. I mean, how would you do Afghanistan quickly before we talk a little bit about COVID? Look, I, I think that sometimes, you know, investigations, some, some might think of them as partisan. You know, like say, you can pick one of them even in, that the Republicans may look at, right? Um, COVID might be viewed as partisan by some, right? It shouldn't be. But the Afghan pullout, nobody thinks is partisan. That was a universally denounced effort, right, or action. And so I think bringing those, those actions to the light of day, this is where congressional oversight done well and having people come testify, trying to get the documents. It may be that they, they push back. They say they're classified. They say whatever they, 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 they push back on. There aren't a lot of outside actors on this, Joe. I agree with you. But I do think that bringing up the DOD um, and the State Department for hearings um, and, and some of the people affected over there uh, and the families uh, and having them testify uh, will, will help shake loose some additional information uh, because I do think it was such a damaging uh, failure by the Biden administration. So you're absolutely right that primarily that was a set of governmental decisions by the Biden administration. I do think, however, there would also be an opportunity to talk with the contractor community, mm. people actually providing services and goods inside the country about what happened, the damage that this quick bug out caused, and the consequences after we left uh, that are still unfolding today. I agree. But Joe, you did raise COVID, where I know over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of conversation, um, incoming Republican majority, and a lot of public concern about what happened over the past couple of years. Um, and then we've seen a prominent article in a magazine, The Atlantic, in the last couple of weeks, pleading for a COVID amnesty for people who made decisions throughout the, the COVID pandemic and the aftermath. With Republicans becoming a majority, tell us a little bit about how you would start framing an investigation of what happened during COVID, decisions made that may or may not have been the, the right call at the time. Yeah, so um, there should not be a, a COVID amnesty, um, in my opinion. And what I mean by that, there should be accountability, like there should be in all government decisions. Um, to me, there are two big sort of buckets. One is sort of the, there's been a lot of stuff back and forth on this already, right, in terms of trying to get some information, but it's the origin, right, of, of, of the virus and how it came to be. And what you see, right, with Anthony Fauci and some of his colleagues, um, there was an absolute effort to silence, destroy people who were raising questions about that, right? Uh, and so, you Using know- Using official government or organizations, information, and ultimately talking directly to people, it appears in the media and the private sector, to, to say, don't repeat that, read them out of the room, right. don't let them have access to right. information, 
all sorts of extraordinary right behaviors. so again this idea that we didn't know what we were doing or this uh, the amnesty thing is hey we were working our way through this and we didn't know what the right answers were and we were you know learning as we went along that's not what happened right what happened was people were making decisions that were definitive in a way and denouncing others and trying to t attack them as you said eric uh and and write them out of out of jobs write them out of like civil society and that was just wrong and it hurt us it hurt uh, it hurt kids it hurt parents it hurt the american community and so um so looking at, you know, those are document requests into NIH, okay. those are document requests into, you know, CDC, all, all the, into the White House and all sorts of agencies that were involved. It is also with, as I said, you know, the, the outside groups, you know, so, um, um, you know, again, to me, there's the origin of it, you know. One the, big bucket. That's one big bucket. And then the other one is the decision to keep the lockdown, particularly in schools, against, in my view, what was evidence and clear evidence that it wasn't harming it, in terms of the risk. It was a lot more harmful to keep kids out of school and do this distance learning uh, than to put them in school and take appropriate protections. And yet that was something that, again, I think there was this effort to destroy anyone who raised the, 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 the you know, the, the option of we should have our kids back in school. And looking, at, and looking at the communications with the, 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 the folks that were most involved with that was the American Federation of Teachers, right, AFT. Right? Based Which on is, what we know so far. Based on what we know so far, again, investigations lead where they are, but the, she seemed to be very involved with those sorts of decisions and pushing them. And just to see, hey, what were the communications with, um, you, you know, with the administration, um, uh, you know, uh, in whatever year it happened um, in terms of uh, those decisions and, and how are they driving and how are they involved with those uh, the, sort of the, the policy making. Now, you mentioned earlier there are about 20 standing committees in the House, yeah. uh, but that every committee should do oversight. I presume, though, that some committees have a, a stronger oversight muscle than others. So inside COVID, a lot of health care, a lot of private sector, to your point, education, um, and committees that kind of match up with these. But where would there be a centralized location to go for a COVID oversight or investigation? Would there be two or three primary committees that would be responsible for this? Again, would you spread it across as many committees as had a role uh, or programs had a role under their jurisdiction yeah. for yeah. COVID? I think it should be um, I'm not a big uh, fan of select committees, so I don't think a select committee should be set up, right? I think it should be either the Energy and Commerce or the House Oversight Committee. Uh, now, there are other, other committees that might have some jurisdiction over it, but I think that between those two committees... Um, Wait, back up. Why, yeah. why do you not like select committees? Um, you're pulling people. Usually, a lot of times, they're funded. Uh, they're, they're, they don't get their own funding, or they don't get enough funding, or they, um, they're pulling from other uh, committees. And, you know, so I'm sorry. So let's just explain this to people who may not know. So select committee is it's outside of the normal committee jurisdiction. Yeah. And they get a they pot of money and you get a cross functional group of people. Or you got to staff up and their only job is we are looking at this uh, subject and you don't like them because there's no legislative authority behind them, like with with energy and commerce or you think it takes them too long to set up. Why do you think they're ineffective? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think that the, the standing committees are the people who have the expertise, right, number one. So w why wouldn't you have the Energy and Commerce Committee or the House Oversight Committee that's been looking at this already continue to do that work, right? Um, second, 
a lot of times select committees are set up and they don't have full funding or they have, I'm not sure how it would be, so that they're using people that are on committees and they're being detailed over to another committee and they're, you know, th their members are now on different, it, to me it's just a, 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 it's just setting up another entity that, that is, in my view, a lot of times a distraction from what the standing committees that do this work day in and does day Cong out. In your opinion, does Congress do that to kind of punt the ball, or do they generally not understand? I mean, sometimes you see, I, I you know, anytime I hear about a blue ribbon bipartisan commission, I'm like, shoot me, it's not going to do anything. So that's their way of not confronting a hard issue. Is that the same bucket with select committees, or do you think that they may be well intentioned, but um, they they're not as effective as a committee's? Uh, with jurisdictions oversight. What, what's your take on why people would set up a select committee if, the, if you are an expert and you don't think they would? I mean, work? select committees sound good. Like, we're focused. We're going to do, right. you know, we're going to have a select committee on COVID. And so th that, that, that it w um, that's going to be th their only focus. That's why it, it's so important to us for setting up a select committee. But at the end of the day, I, I spent 10 years up there. I think my, my experience with select committees and um, and watching some select committees is that it's just better left with the with the with the um, with the standing committee to do the work. I also think there's a little bit of history sometimes, and, and again, kind of Mark's point reinforces public focus or leadership focus. But look, we had the Senate Select Committee on Watergate, we had the Select Committee on Iran Contra, we had a Select Committee on Katrina, we have a Select Committee right now on a piece of what happened after COVID and the climate crisis. But you could hear in the titles, they match the importance of the moment and are gonna drive public conversation or maybe they don't succeed as well. And kind of to your point, some of these later select committees also don't really have strength or expertise or certainly the tools to, to drive an outcome. So institutionally, I think Congress has experimented with select committees but right now it seems like standing committees yeah. have more of the juice. And again, I may just be coming out of a committee process. I mean, the other thing is you have the expertise and also that committee is doing the work that's learning, okay, what are the changes that we need to make when we get done with this investigation with CDC, with NIH, with whatever the industries are that actually are coming before those committees, right? Select committees come and go, yeah. but you know, if, if you're if you're looking if, if you're looking at the companies that may have been involved or that, that have, you know, that that where that standing committee is the authorizing committee for a lot of the programs that those companies are, are involved with, or those agencies, CDC, right. NIH, they're going to be dealing with, let's just say, the Energy and Commerce Committee forever, forever on. Right. And so a, a select committee is just a different, and, and so whatever information you're gathering to, right, you need to then sort of transfer that, and it's just, it's kind of a, it's more organic when it happens inside a, an investigative committee that's got the jurisdiction over that those programs, right? If it's the FCC and the program that we did looking at all the waste, fraud, and abuse with the E-rate program, that's what it was called, the E-rate program, oh, yeah. right? Um, or the hospitaling of, uh, hospi hospital billing of the uninsured. We know what hospitals do, right? We know the billing system. We know the, the reimbursement stuff, right, in terms of the folks that are there. So you're doing an investigation within the context of that expertise, and it just carries on to the next step. And I think select committees take it away from that. Okay. Um, All right. Well, this conversation uh, could go on for days. And uh, like I said, I hope we have the opportunity at some point in the future to um, bring you back and have another in-depth discussion, maybe about one in particular that's gaining a lot of attention on Capitol Hill. But we have to get to your book, uh, Created Equal, uh, the story of uh, Clarence Thomas, which you wrote uh, recently. So 
when we uh, get back, we're going to dive into the book, okay? Great. Stay tuned. <laughs> 